0: Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has joined nearly two dozen other states' leaders in opposing a proposed federal rule they say would be detrimental to the charter school movement. We'll take a closer look at their concerns. Also this morning, as talent remains scarce in many high-demand professions, employers are increasingly open to more types of professional and technical certifications other than the traditional college degree, opening opportunities to large numbers of potential job candidates. And just in time for the summer vacation season, Airbnb has introduced innovative new ways of discovering great destinations and adventures you might never have thought of otherwise. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, we got some for you. It is National Walnut Day. (laughs) Need we say more? (laughs) National Walnut Day. Well, there you go. If that's not good enough for you, it is National Cherry Cobbler Day. It is also World Telecommunication and Information Society Day, National Mushroom Hunting Day, International Tax Pay Day, or I'm sorry, Income Tax Pay Day, Income Tax Pay Day. There's uh, a story. Is this the day in which they're supposed to have all of the uh, income tax payments back uh, to people, the uh, refunds and all that? It says Income Tax Pay Day. Uh, Pack Rat Day, and it is Pinot Grigio Day today as well. So, reasons to celebrate. So, here is uh, an interesting story at the uh, the Newswire. I think this is uh, certainly a story that uh, will probably be discussed among uh, proponents of free speech and opponents of uh, some of the uh, protests that we have seen In recent weeks, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation yesterday which would outlaw protests at private residences. Uh, He says it will prevent protests in the state like those carried out by abortion rights protesters in front of the Virginia homes of some U.S. Supreme Court justices. Now, obviously, again, they live in Virginia. This is in Florida. Uh, So others have accused Ron DeSantis of, again... Capitalizing on an issue that doesn't really affect his state um, for political and publicity reasons, but nonetheless, um, it is a measure that is set to go into effect on October first. Would make it a second degree misdemeanor to protest in a way that's meant to intentionally harass or disturb uh, someone in their home. Uh, protesters can only be arrested under this measure. Protesters can only be arrested if they ignore police orders to disperse. So the cops just can't come, come rushing in and arrest them. They have to give them the opportunity to disperse first. And uh, then if they don't, violators would face potential penalties of 60 days in jail and fines of up to $500. Uh, others have contended that the measure infringes on people's first amendments uh, rights to free speech. So, And again, proponents, uh, of course, are saying, no, you have every right to protest and exercise your right of free speech, just not in front of people's homes. What do you think? It's uh, those uh, interesting stories uh, that'll be uh, worth some debate, I think. Some of the other uh, first things you need to know this morning among the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, the things that caught my eye on the newswire as I'm perusing the newswire this morning uh, to see what's going on in the world. As get another day started, a California judge has ruled that a state law requiring that women be placed on corporate boards is unconstitutional. The judge says it violates the right to equal treatment by having a gender-based quota. The state of California defended the law that was put in place three years ago, saying it was It was needed to undo a culture of discrimination that favored men, and it was only done after other measures failed. Now, the state argues, now the judge says that having a gender-based quota is unconstitutional. The state says it is not a quota because boards could just add seats for women without removing men from the board. Uh, The law required publicly held companies headquartered in California to have at least one woman on their board by the end of 2019. And by January of this year, boards with five directors were required to have two women and boards with six or more members were required to have three women. I don't know. That sounds like a quota to me. (laughs) But this is not a quota. We just require them to have so many women on the board. (laughs) Maybe they should look up the definition to the word quota. Uh, Superior Court Judge Maureen Duffy Lewis's ruling came just one month after another Los Angeles judge found that a state law mandating corporations have members on their boards from certain racial, racial, ethnic, or LGBT groups was also unconstitutional. So I thought it was interesting that it was a female judge that ruled unconstitutional, the rule that women have to be given seats on corporate boards, but it's not a quota. It's not, not at all. Uh, let's see again. It's one of those, one of those things. I, I understand the concern. You can certainly appreciate the, uh, sentiment behind the law or the intent behind the law. But what does that they say about the road to hell being paved with good intentions? maybe a case in point right here. Speaking of uh, things that I, this is just weird. And obviously over the weekend, we had uh, a couple, uh, a couple more shootings that were reported in the news. Uh, there was the one in Buffalo. was one of the, there was one, the, uh, uh, there was one uh, bomb threat or a shooting, a bomb threat or something at, uh, in, in California. Uh, so there were, uh, a number of, of these uh, violent incidences um, across the country over the weekend. And I saw this on the uh, Newswire this morning, and I it immediately made me scratch my head and wonder if this is another case of somebody putting out research, quote-unquote research, that is specifically designed to promote a specific point of view rather than get to the heart of a problem. Let me give you the story here and see what you think. Uh, researchers at the University of Toronto say they have found a connection between bodybuilding and other more troubling behaviors in teenage boys. Researchers looked at data of over 4,000 boys in the U.S. Now, this is University of Toronto in Canada, but they're looking at data in the U.S., over 4,000 boys in high school and found that moderate to high engagement in bodybuilding exercise is associated with physical fighting and carrying weapons. The lead author of the study, Dr. Kyle Ganson says these are unique findings that underscore a likely relationship between boys attempts to adhere to masculine norms and physical fighting weapon carrying and muscle building exercise uh, through uh, consistent education and policies related to safe muscle building behavior. Schools and community members can collectively reduce behaviors associated with higher engagement of muscle building exercises for adolescent boys. Again, I look at this and I say, wait a minute, they are claiming an association and, by extension, one leading to the other, that bodybuilding, that bodybuilders are more prone to outbursts of violence. And that's what they're saying. And uh, I go back to that old uh, saying, what is it? Uh, all poodles are dogs, but that doesn't mean that all dogs are poodles. And this is kind of this way to me. It's, yeah, those that uh, many of those uh, individuals that perpetrate acts of violence may be uh bodybuilders may uh gravitate toward that kind of but does that mean one leads to the other is there a connection is there a correlation or causation there i don't know again it just seems to me that this was one uh study that the researchers already had a conclusion and they were just looking for data to support the conclusion that they had already come to not necessarily the best way to to do scientific studies there but anyway i just thought that was uh, that was interesting Again, one of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. And how about this? I This is something worth thinking about. Uh, chew on this. A recent New York Times report reveals that millennials and Gen Zers, these are young adults um, from the ages of 18 up. Young adults, millennials and Gen Zers are spending money on things that bring meaning to their lives which is fine to a point, but to the exclusion of planning for the future. Uh, a fidelity planning survey found that 45 percent of those between the ages of 18 to 35 do not see a point in saving for the future until things return to normal, which, in this Times piece, they point out, could be a hefty order because a lot of young people uh, really don't have a whole lot of recollection of a world that was quote-unquote normal. I mean, you've had a couple of years of the pandemic, and if you're 18, 19, 20 years old, that's the only adult uh, situation you've ever known, right? And even if you're a little bit older, you go back, uh, you had the Great Recession, um, you've had a lot of economic upheaval uh, during the course of your young life, and so what is normal? Uh, Basically, what they're saying is that... uh, Millennials and Gen Zers in particular uh, have had things uh, rough for a while. Uh, dealing with uh, inflation, all-time high student debt, uh, housing issues, you know people, young people being priced out of the housing market, uh, skyrocketing health care and child care costs, etc., etc., etc. And so basically, what uh, they're saying is, uh, Brad uh, Klantz tells the New York Times in this piece he's a financial psychologist studies the finan the uh, psychology of why we spend and save the way we do and he says if you have an apocalyptic version uh, an, an apocalyptic vision of the future why would you save for it why would you plan for it of course you wouldn't and this times piece warns that that's where we are with a lot of young people today well, that is not really pleasant, is it? But it is certainly something we're thinking about, uh, the way these young people view the world that they are coming into adulthood in and the world that they are inheriting. And they just don't see a, a whole lot of positives in it right now. Can't say that I blame them so much, but it's still sad to see. There you go. Uh, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to chew on and get your Tuesday morning started. <laughs>
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected today, along with a high of 72. Increasing clouds tonight, a low of 53. Man accused of shooting and wounding a state trooper in Finley last fall has waived his right to counsel and plans on representing himself at trial. Robert Tremaine Hathorn's jury trial will begin on June 6th in Hancock County Common Pleas Court. Court records show that an attorney will be appointed by the court to act as standby counsel during the trial. The 43 year old Hathorn was previously indicted by a Hancock County grand jury. On six felony charges, including felonious assault on a peace officer, get more on this case on the website. Finley's Bigelow Hill Elementary School has unveiled its new ecology garden. Beth Ann Nissen says students have been very enthusiastic about this project.
2: Oh, they're just really digging in and... Feeling a sense of ownership, this is theirs, and many of the students, this is the first time that they have actually dug a hole and planted plants and thought about the needs, and kind of taking care of something together, that this is theirs.
1: And she said it's not just science, but other disciplines are involved in the garden, including art. Get more on the garden project on the website. The two Ohio groups that have battled over abortion rights throughout the years are anxiously watching the U.S. Supreme Court, which seems likely to overturn Roe v. Wade in the summer. Kelly Copeland is executive director of Pro-Choice Ohio.
3: We know how devastating this impact will be by people who are already facing the greatest barriers.
1: Mike Ganadakis is president of Ohio Right to Life. Our heartbeat law signed in 2018 is, is being held up in federal court. And that case will immediately be dismissed if Rose overturned. So at a minimum, we will have an abortion-free Ohio at the moment a baby's beating heart can be detected. Dave James went in News. An Ohio law enforcement officer and an Ohio fire chief were honored at the White House for acts of bravery in the line of duty. President Biden awarded Dalton Rushing, a deputy sheriff in Perry County, and Chief Ryan Sprunger of the East Wayne Fire District the Medal of Valor for jumping into frozen lakes to rescue people. The president says both demonstrated courageous action and uncommon poise to save lives. Remember, you can always get more news online at WFIN.com.
0: Well, this is a story that has largely flown under the radar, but last month, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine joined nearly two dozen other state governors in opposition of a proposed federal rule that would limit the creation of charter schools, which are public schools that are operated independently of and largely free of public school regulations, sometimes by nonprofit, but more often by for-profit organizations. And joining us this morning is Debbie Venney, Senior Vice President of the National Alliance for public charter schools, Debbie, what are these proposed regulations that have you so concerned?
3: So these proposed regulations um, uh, specifically would create a set of um, new rules for how one could access funding to the startup of charter schools. Now, about ninety percent of charter schools are actually run by um, nonprofit organizations, and these rules would make it nearly impossible for potential operators to be able to uh, meet the criteria. Let me give an example right quick. One of the rules would be that the school would have to already have secured a school building. Now this might sound like a simple thing, but charter schools have to actually get their own building. They have to either pay for those by buying them or renting them. They'd have to have secured a lease before you can get startup money, which is kind of crazy because the purpose of the startup money is to help you get a building.
0: (laughs) So if I'm understanding this correctly, this targets new charter schools. What impact, if any, does this have on existing charter schools?
3: Ah, so on existing charter schools, this is also problematic because as the school is growing and looking to serve more students, it would also cut off access to funds for that. So if you've got a school, for example, that started out – Serving, let's say, like uh, just elementary and they'd like to grow to serve elementary and middle or it's such a great school and there's so much demand, they'd like to have a second campus. This would also affect that. And that's a huge deal because we've got millions of families that would attend a charter school if one were available to them. The demand is outrageous. And so this would literally cut off charter schools at the knees that are trying to find a way to meet the tremendous demand from the community
0: now in the example that you uh, mentioned uh it doesn't seem unreasonable uh that a, a charter school that wants to start up should actually uh be able to have a uh physical location is it the wording that uh, you have a uh, an issue with or is it the the whole concept
4: It's the
3: timing. We need a physical building. And so one of the things that most people don't understand is every other type of public school has a physical building that is provided to them at taxpayer expense. Charter schools do not get that. And so therefore we need these startup funds.
0: Right. Well to to be fair uh you don't get it directly although as we mentioned uh charter schools do receive public funding so uh it, i guess by extension uh the the building would uh, ultimately come from uh that uh, uh public funding uh but i understand your uh, you know concern on the on the timing the uh point that you're making there uh, i am going
3: to play actually, uh, no, i want i want i want to clarify that that's actually not quite how it works literally charter schools have to pay for their own school building. I want to make sure I'm being really clear on that. They have to, every other public school has one that's provided to them at no cost. Well, yeah. On top of, well, I don't want
0: to say, well, I, I'm not sure that that's uh, entirely accurate either. Uh, public schools, uh, a, as taxpayers know, certainly in this area, we've uh, got a big campus going up that that taxpayers uh, are paying for uh, through the public schools. I mean, the public schools have to go to the taxpayers, pass a levy to build uh, a, a new school. It's not yeah. exactly given to them free.
3: Well, it, it is at no cost to the actual – if you're a principal, for example, at a district public school, you don't have to go out as a principal and take out a loan to be able to get a school building.
0: This well, I'm um, okay. Um, not not in the uh, traditional way, it, in a different way, but I understand the, the point that you're making. Um, I, I do want to play a devil's advocate in, in, in this respect, because as you certainly know, Ohio has something of a checkered history with charter schools. The promise is admirable, and there are some very good charter schools in Ohio and elsewhere. Certainly do not want to paint them all with a broad brush, but there are many that have not lived up to the promise in practice, and a lot of that comes down to accountability, uh, both financial and otherwise. How do you respond to critics who say that charter schools Schools have fallen short of their promise and that we have not yet found that sweet spot between allowing charter schools to be free to innovate while at the same time maintaining that accountability with taxpayers.
3: So we're very strong on accountability and believe in financial transparency and that every public school should absolutely be good stewards of public dollars and work in the best interest of students. Now, our issue here would be that we want the same set of um, rules and transparencies to to happen on both sides of the equation. So the governance model of a public school, whether that be a district school or a charter school, should not be a litmus test as to whether it has accountability. All public schools should be accountable. And there are a number of district public schools that uh, also are not good stewards of public money. Fair enough. Our argument is not not to protect or defend anyone who is a bad actor. We do not support that.
0: Um, A report in 2020 found that 40% of charter schools, and this kind of speaks to this particular regulation we're talking about, a report in 2020 found that 40% of charter schools closed within 10 years, 25% within five years, 18% within just three years. Isn't there an argument to be made that by making sure that the need is actually there for a charter school to open would make it less likely to fail to, to close within such a short time frame?
3: Well, okay, let's un- let's unpack that bit by bit. So, number one, the number one reason that charter schools close is because it is a very facilities issue that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. It is an extra burden. Charter schools are funded at 75% of what their district school peers are funded at. So to begin with, their per pupil allocation is actually less. And then on top of that, they have the additional financial burden of having to physically pay out of their per pupil allocation or by fundraising for extra dollars for their physical building, their utilities, their um, groundskeeping, all these things they have to actually pay for out of an already truncated budget. That is one thing. Um, Number two, the the way that we define need is um, it is left open to interpretation different ways by different people. Um, Certainly, we want to make sure that there is a need um, for for charter schools. And the waiting list that Mm -hmm. we have in multiple communities would indicate that, in fact, there is tremendous need for these schools. Just because you have a district public school that's there. Doesn't mean that it's meeting the needs of the community. Right. does mean that these kids are actually. Which running. is actually, yeah, um, which is
0: actually why the the charter schools uh, were created in the first place. The the charter school concept right. was created in the in the first place. So certainly a a, a fair point uh, with respect to that. Um, as we mentioned, uh, Governor Dewine is uh, just one of more than two dozen, roughly two dozen, uh, state governors who are opposed to this new rulemaking. The other uh, issue that. Uh, our governor and others have uh, stated is the uh, concern that this is a federal rule and that these should be that charter schools should be regulated uh, to the extent that they are on a at the state level. Uh, How big is is that the concern Um, again that not just this rule is an issue but it is the federal government. Uh, sending down this edict rather than it coming from the state level?
3: That is a huge issue. So charter schools operate at the pleasure of states. Every state has to make the determination as to whether or not it is going to enact a law to even allow charter schools to operate. Then each one of those states will independently determine exactly what's included in that law. What are the specific parameters that, um, that exist? And so In order for a potential school leader to be approved to open up a charter school, or we call that getting a charter, they have to meet quite a bit of criteria that's outlined at the state level. And they would have to be approved by what we call an authorizer that's on the ground in that community. Mm -hmm. So what the proposed rules would do is they would override what the authorizer and the community have determined to be a fair, um, a good application for a new charter school. Yeah. So they, they've authorized so, it. They say it's good. Then it goes up to nameless, faceless bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., who, based on their own interpretation of what they think may or may not be good, they don't have to tell us anything. They can just arbitrarily veto that because they don't think it meets uh, community demand. There's no real metric for what that is. It's yeah. very nebulous.
0: Um, I, again, we uh, just kind of scratched the surface on this. Uh, a story that has largely flown under the radar, but certainly one uh, that is important to watch. Again, Debbie Venney is a Senior Vice President of Communications, the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. Where do folks get more information on your position on uh, this particular issue?
3: Thank you so much. Um, I would send people to public charters.org or to charterswork.com
0: Debbie thanks very much for taking the time today we appreciate it
3: thank you for having me
0: Well, there's no question that the global labor market has been undergoing a transformation as talent remains scarce in many high-demand professions with increasing acceptance by employers of more types of professional and technical certifications. IBM Vice President Justina Nixon-Santil is with us this morning with details on a digital training program they have launched called Skills Build to capitalize on this. And uh, Justina, you're really taking advantage of and leveraging the fact that the standard college degree isn't the first and above all prerequisite that it once was. Is that kind of the basic idea here?
4: Yeah, that's correct. Um, I think that employers are providing more options to job seekers now, right? So you don't need necessarily the four-year degree to be able to move into an entry-level tech job. You're able to do that with a credential or certificate um, in a field such as cybersecurity.
0: And that's good for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think a lot of people have had it happen where, you know, I, I don't technically qualify for the job based on the listing, even though I know that I can do it uh, just because I don't have a degree in hand shouldn't uh, disqualify me. Number two, and a lot of people have had that. And number two, not everyone has it in their wheelhouse to uh, do the, the four-year college education. So this really answers uh, those uh, objections uh, all at the same time.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really expands the labor pool as well. I mean, as you know, we're in a very tight job market right now and um, requiring everyone to have a four-year degree to be able to work in cybersecurity or data analytics or artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. A lot of those jobs um, don't require it. Um, So I think it really expands the labor pool. It provides more choices to employers, to learners, to employees. Um, You know, and I think it really helps address the skill shortage
0: and it also opens up these opportunities for uh, you know well-paying careers to a wider range of people which is obviously uh, good for the overall economy as well so explain how uh, the skills build program works
4: yeah so with skills build um, learners you know job seekers um, educators they have access to a number of different credentials programs. Um, for example, cybersecurity is one where there's significant demand. I think there are around six hundred thousand unfilled positions just in the US in cybersecurity. So it gives a huge opportunity to be able to get a credential in that area over a period of three to six months and be able to obtain an entry-level job in that area. Now for people who already are in a tech field or already have a four-year degree or they've been working in, in the area for quite some time, this gives them an opportunity to upskill, right? Or it gives them an opportunity to learn something new um, if they want to switch focus areas in technology and, and move to, for example, artificial intelligence. Um, so it, it it really gives them free access to all of the different curricula and again, the badge is a uh, branded IBM badge that's recognized uh, by corporations.
0: Now, are you targeting certain groups uh, with this uh, program? I understand uh, that you've got uh, partnerships with the, uh, with the VA, with a uh, number of HBCUs, and, and so on. Uh, are these programs limited or targeted towards certain uh, areas of the population?
4: Well, the program is available and it's open and, you know, anyone can access the IBM Skills Build platform. Okay. Um, However, you know, we made a commitment last year to skill 30 million people by 2030. And we want to make sure that we are reaching those untapped talent, people who have been underrepresented in the tech areas. So that's why we partnered with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, with specially Stern Foundation and with historically black colleges and universities. And we're going to be providing no cost tech training um, to U.S. military veterans to mm-hmm. the neuro- neurodivergent um, population. And then to university students as well.
0: That is awesome. Now I, I we're coming up on this time of year, you know, high school graduations and so on. A lot of uh, young people are going to be asked, "What do you want to do with your life?" And and th- this I think will be something that will resonate uh, for a lot of those students who you know are maybe not quite sure and and maybe are interested in in pursuing uh, this type of a career, but again, maybe not ready for the commitment of college. So, uh, but this is also. Uh, as I understand it, available for those who uh, may not be in that category, maybe looking at changing careers, second careers, that kind of thing?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have um, people who have been in the tech field um, or even in in non-technical areas and have been working for quite some time, and they're looking to get into an area where there is significant opportunity for advancement. I mean, we all know that technology um, is changing very rapidly Um, There are some core skills that you need to be a lifelong learner, to understand technology, to understand how to continue to be agile and flexible. Um, And those are the skills that are needed so that you could, you know, be very successful in these technology jobs. And those are the kinds of skills we provide um, through our Skills Wheel program, in addition to, of course, the hardcore tech, um, you know, content as well. So it really is open for anyone, whether you are a high school graduate or whether you are In university or university graduate, or you've been working for quite some time in, uh, you know, various fields, you actually can access this content completely free. And it could put you on a path based on your goals. Now, you mentioned some
0: of the areas uh, that you can get this kind of a certification uh, for and you know, cybersecurity is one and you mentioned a, a few others. How do we know what type of training and what field to focus on that would best fit uh, for an individual student? Is there some guidance there?
4: So there are a couple of things. I mean, learners and job seekers can definitely assess their, you know, credentialing needs by talking with career counselors. I mean, if you are, you know, in school, you can talk to your guidance counselor, your career counselor. Um, If you're a job seeker, the same thing. You can look at the different postings that employers have. For example, you know, IBM, um, around 50% of the jobs we post do not require a four-year degree. And these are really um, great paying jobs that we offer in tech areas. So you could do that assessment, but also on our skill skills platform, you could also complete a questionnaire that provides a roadmap for you based on your expertise and what you're trying to accomplish. Hmm. Um, so there are many ways that you can you know figure out what are the best uh, career options for you. So through our partnerships with Veterans Affairs, with the universities, and with Specialist Stern, we are providing that guidance to the participants um, through coaches and mentors. That will help them, you know, figure out what is my next step from a career perspective.
0: That is awesome. So, not only uh, providing uh, some training here, but also some guidance to make sure that uh, people be happy in the uh, career paths that they have uh, chosen and the training programs they have uh, chosen. Again, uh, with us this morning is IBM Vice President Justina Nixon uh with details on the IBM Skills Build Program. Where do folks learn more about this? Where do we start?
4: Yeah, so to um, get access to all of the different programs that we offer, you can visit ibm.com slash skills.
0: Justina, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me.
2: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Actually, kind of a light day in the broken news. Not a whole lot going on. There are a handful of stories here. This from Ontario, Canada, where a woman is offering a reward for the return of an uncommon piece of stolen property. Her 125-pound polar bear statue. (laughs) Nancy Allen said uh, some unknown thieves put a lot of effort to steal the statue as she found dolly tracks in her front yard. (laughs) I went through a lot of effort to abscond the polar bear statue. She said her house is known for the concrete statues that have decorated her yard for more than 30 years. She is offering $200 for the return of her concrete polar bear. (laughs) You ever think maybe it was her neighbors who stole it? I mean, (laughs) tired of looking at her concrete statues? How do you, what do you do with uh, something like that? I mean, you know, is there, uh, is there a black market for concrete polar bear statues or something? I, didn't, I don't know. Police are <laughs> police are looking for thieves. Uh, this is outside of St. Louis. Police are looking for the gang of thieves who stole an ATM machine, but then couldn't open it. <laughs> the, the suspects allegedly broke through a fence. At the Brookdale, uh, at Brookdale Farms, and stole an ATM uh, on Monday. This happened yesterday, uh, but they dumped it on a highway after failing to get it open. <laughs> you go through all of that for nothing. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, the moral of that story is: have a plan before you, uh, before you execute. Your uh, robbery. Make sure you have a plan to actually get the ATM open. <laughs> um, speaking of things on the side of the road, uh, this is kind of crazy. I saw this online, actually. Vloggers Joe, uh, Jose and Catherine Rodriguez, who live in Fort Myers, Florida, but travel around the country documenting their everyday lives for their YouTube channel, uh, which is Southern Life, by the way, the Southern Life uh, YouTube channel, they were driving along Interstate 95 during rush hour on Friday when their dash cam picked up an unusual sight. Uh, they said, we see this guy on the side of the road literally uh, having a full golf game. Jose tells uh, local news reporters, "Is like Tiger Woods Jr. on the side of the road. He was uh, doing his thing, practicing his swing. The dash cam video shows a car pulled to the side of the road and and a man taking practice swings in the grass just off the side of the interstate. At least it looked like he was taking practice swings. Upon closer inspection, the guy wasn't just practicing, he was actually hitting golf balls near the interstate. It sounds like that would be rather dangerous. Who knows what this guy was thinking, says Mr. Rodriguez, adding it's just a really dangerous place to do that, one would think practice in your golf swing on the side of the interstate what in the world are people thinking <clears throat> uh let's see this is uh, out of florida it always seems like we've got a story out of florida this from biscayne bay what started as a happy marriage proposal uh, turned out to be rather costly for this uh, group of individuals 10 people were fined after David Torres dumped over 50 balloons into the bay. The balloons were decorations on a yacht for a marriage proposal event. Uh, But then when they were done, they just tossed the balloons overboard into the bay, and that's against the law. Mr. Torres is facing up to $10,000 worth of fines and a charge of reckless disregard for the environment. The rest of the group involved in planning the event are also facing a total of about $23,000 in fines. (laughs) That's not the way you want to start off your engagement. Not real bright there. Again, planning left a little bit to be desired in that case. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this is from the corporate world, and this is just so crazy that I had to include it in the uh, broken news. A former eBay executive has pleaded guilty to participating in a scheme to terrorize a couple by sending random disturbing items to their homes. Now, I think we had this story. Uh, several weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago, I don't remember, where these people started having random things show up on, on their home, uh, their doorstep, supposedly coming from eBay. Uh, the executive for the company, David Harville, is one of six employees or contractors who pleaded guilty to the scheme that included sending things like a box of live cockroaches, a funeral wreath, and books about surviving the loss of a spouse to the home of this couple uh, and the reason they wanted to uh, get the targeted couple to stop publishing negative articles about the company. (laughs) Apparently, they had been saying some not nice things in uh, some published articles about eBay, and so this executive and others retaliated against Ina and David Steiner Uh, Mr. Harville even allegedly flew from California to Boston with the intent of undergoing surveillance of the Steiners and putting a tracking device on their vehicle. eBay employees also set up fake social media accounts to send threatening messages to the couple and posted the couple's home address online. The Steiners sued last summer. Uh, sued eBay and several employees over what they described as a conspiracy to intimidate, threaten to kill, torture, terrorize, stalk, and silence them in order to stifle their reporting on eBay. Mr. Harville, uh, due for sentencing in October, could face several years in prison. One of the other co-conspirators in the case has already been sentenced to 18 months in the slammer. And it's just such a crazy story. (laughs) If you don't want them to... Uh, publish articles criticizing eBay. That's probably not the best way of going about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking based on that story, there may be something to their reporting about uh, about eBay. You know, that's they're only you're only proving their point, uh, not dissuading them. It just doesn't seem to be the brightest business move. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. Uh, this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled
1: programming. This is Ed Lentz with OSU Extension. It's planting season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow moving vehicles, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This
4: message from WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So we're coming up on uh, summer vacation season and also with the uh, easing of pandemic restrictions, also seeing a return to business travel being more common and a new survey of 2000 road warriors, people who uh, do typically travel for business Uh, when it comes to mixing big uh, business and pleasure. These business travelers uh, give it a big thumbs up. The poll, which was uh, sponsored, by the way, by Visit Anaheim, the uh, Anaheim Southern uh, California uh, Tourism uh, Bureau uh, or to- Tourism Board, Visit Anaheim, they found that to 65% of those who have booked a business trip have taken their friends along or their significant other or even their entire family with them on the so-called business trip. Uh, that they combine into a pleasure trip, a leisure trip, or what they call a bleasure trip. Uh, As long as those guests do not interfere in the actual work that the business traveler has to get done, they say they see no problem with it. Uh, The same percentage, 65%, also claim that they have arrived at a destination for a work trip early or stayed longer than they had to be there to enjoy the trip more. So you get there a few days ahead of time or you stay a little bit longer to uh, spend a, a couple of days yourself. Kind of, again, leisure trips. 70% of those polled say letting work uh, pick up the tab for seeing a place that they have never been is the best part about traveling for work. You get to see new places. 57% say they're just happy to leave the office. <laughs> and I would imagine those numbers are even higher post-pandemic when so many of us were doing virtual meetings across uh, long distances, and you remember there was a time when they were talking, hey, maybe the business trip is the thing of the past, and uh, a lot of business travelers for just these reasons said, eh, I'm not so, so sure that I like that idea. Um, 57% say they're just happy to be out of the office. Uh, With pandemic restrictions easing, also in this poll, 86% say they are traveling this year. 86%, so business travel is coming back. 35% say they are planning to take more business trips than even they did before the pandemic. So not only uh, are uh, business trips back, but even more business trips than before all of this happened. And 55% say they are turning those trips into leisure trips to help with their work-life balance so it is a thing i guess uh more and more and hey as long as the boss is okay with it and you get all your work done i guess it's kind of like working remotely where you can work from anywhere if you want to combine business and leisure uh, more power to you i guess <music> Well, the countdown is on now to the unofficial start of summer and the official start of the summer travel season. And you might have heard about this a few days ago. Airbnb has made some changes uh, to their platform, uh, which will help folks find some great destination uh, getaways. And joining us from Airbnb is Liz DeBold Fusco with more on that. And Liz, before we get into uh, some of these changes, which I think are really, really cool, talk a little bit about what you expect from the world of travel this summer, because initially everybody was expecting it to go like gangbusters uh, after the, the pandemic, but then concerns about rising fuel prices and rising airline prices kind of tempered that.
2: What do you expect? Yeah, I mean, we're actually really seeing that people are still planning to travel. According to an Airbnb survey, more than nine in 10 guests are considering hitting the road this summer. Um, Many of us are planning to do so with family. It's a great way to reunite, maybe after a long time apart. Family travel is at an all-time high. And we're really seeing that everybody really is thinking about traveling this summer. Seniors over the age of 60 are the fastest growing age group for nights booked this summer compared to 2019. Um, We are seeing that many of us are going to be traveling pretty close to home more than half of nights booked in the first few months of 2022 for the summer domestic trips but actually international travel has recovered to pre-pandemic levels and it continues to grow Um, and for those domestic trips you know no surprise many of us are going to head to the beach half of nights booked on airbnb are listing just three miles from the coast and actually of the top 10 top 10 trending summer destinations uh Six of them are across the state of Florida.
0: <laughs> Not a big surprise there. What about, you know, the other thing uh, that we heard about uh, over the course of the pandemic was the fact that uh, with remote work, people can actually you know, work from anywhere, work virtually from anywhere. So the possibility of maybe taking a vacation without having to take vacation time, uh, is that playing itself out?
2: Yeah, you know, we really see. That the world has changed. You know, in 2022, people are traveling differently than they ever have before, part because of remote work. It's really created new flexibility in our lives to, you know, combine living and working and traveling all in one and all on Airbnb. Uh, You know, we're seeing that people are really traveling everywhere. Airbnb guests have already planned stays to over 72,000 cities and towns this summer. Long term stays are at an all time high. Again, perfect for sort of combining that living and working and traveling I was talking about. Long term stays represent one in every five nights booked on airbnb and again there's more flexibility about where and when guests can travel um, and it's manifesting and you know people are really thinking about this Day as a part of the destination We've seen that unique listings gained in popularity During the pandemic um, In 2021, unique listings were added To 20 million wish lists on Airbnb hmm. um, As, you know, have listings with iconic architecture and interiors People really, you know, are looking for places That feature incredible design
0: So the place to stay being as memorable As the uh, destination uh, as a whole So kind exactly. of interesting there um, Now, as we mentioned And we were talking about this uh, just the other day Airbnb has made some changes uh, to the way searches uh, will work on the platform to help people find some incredible places to stay. Tell us uh, about these uh, changes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have introduced the biggest change to Airbnb in a decade, and it includes three big things. The first is Airbnb categories. As I mentioned, millions of people are now more flexible about where they live and work. We created a new way to search on Airbnb designed around Airbnb categories, so you can discover millions of unique homes you never knew existed. When you open Airbnb right now, it's live right now, you're presented with 56 categories that organize homes based on their style, their location, their proximity to a travel activity. One of my favorites is the OMG category. It is, <laughs> it is all listing that when you look at them you literally say OMG um, because they are just so wild and out there. Um, there's a yellow submarine, there's a giant boot. I mean, really, really cool stuff. And now it's all in one place. Um, the other update we've introduced is split stays. So we've mentioned guests are staying on Airbnb for a week or more. This innovative feature provides more options for longer stays by splitting your trip between two homes. You'll actually now see 40% more listings when searching for longer-term stays, which is something that we know that people want right now. Um, and then finally, there's air cover for guests. Uh, this is great. This is the most comprehensive protection in travel. It's included with every trip and it's always free. And one thing that I you know, really think that is important for people to know is that it actually protects you if, say, your host needs to cancel your booking last minute, or if you can't check into your home, or maybe you find your listing isn't as advertised. In all of those cases, we will find you a similar or better home, or we or we will refund you. And that is our guarantee.
0: You know, the the one thing that I think is really cool is the ability to uh by experience if I want to uh, I don't. This isn't the sea, the uh, season for skiing necessarily, but that's the one that immediately uh, pops to my mind. If I want to go on a ski trip, yeah. uh, you can, uh, you know, search by that activity and maybe find a destination that you wouldn't even have thought of before.
2: Exactly. I mean, there's so many too. We have golfing is another category. Oh yeah, there that's you good go. For summer, right? If people want to go golfing this summer, um, we have vineyards. Maybe you want to go to a vineyard this summer as well. You can find all sorts of incredible properties, and not even just on major vineyard spots, but maybe vineyard spots that you didn't even know existed in right. country that you weren't even aware of right in your own backyard it's really yeah. incredible
0: so again those uh changes uh, are live now those upgrades uh are, are available right now if you go to uh, airbnb right
2: that is right you can head to airbnb.com you can discover the new airbnb you can use the new airbnb to book your summer vacation
0: Uh, Liz DeBold Fusco with us uh, this morning with uh, more info on these uh, upgrades at uh, Airbnb that make it even easier to book your next dream vacation. Liz, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much for having
0: me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, you know, the travel and tourism industry was hoping for a big rebound after the lean pandemic years. But that was before gas and fuel prices skyrocketed. So what's the forecast look like now? We'll take a closer look. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.